Welcome everybody to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. This evening, we are going to be exploring Stargates. Yes, more Stargates. No, we just did a whole big thing on Stargates of Ancient Egypt. So not really going to touch on the Egyptian ones. We'll mention them here from, from time to time because, of course, they do play a part into, uh, in, into everything that we're doing. But we kind of like really hit those heavy uh, a couple of weeks ago. So we're, we're covering more world Stargates. So other Stargates around the world. Uh, we have covered this before in the past, a little over a year ago, but um, got some new material mixed in. And again, there are new, newer people here associated with the Connected Universe portal. So for those that are unfamiliar with what we do here at the Connected Universe, those listening to the podcast later or the syndicated uh, radio shows, we go live every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time through the Connected Universe portal, connecteduniverseportal.com. For a uh, monthly membership, and it's you know free for the first 30 days, you can check it out. Uh, you can come in, be a part of the weekly interactive class, get your questions answered, watch the live presentation with the with the slideshow. You got the video presentations, all those wonderful things, which, of course, you're only listening to through the pro through the podcast version. You also get access to different things like the monthly Q and A, uh, which you submit your questions to that. There are exclusive articles back there. Uh, there are sneak peek and behind the scenes videos, which uh, the uh, Connected Universe Portal members just got a fresh sneak peek of Shadow Dimension Season Two. That's not publicly available yet. Also, insider travel blogs like Egypt, Ireland, American Southwest. All this and more, connecteduniverseportal.com. All right, so tonight's topic, Stargates. And I've, I've playfully named this within my show notes. Stargates 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Another 80s movie reference for you. All right, so for tonight, our class question was, it'll come up here. Here we go. If you could travel through a Stargate to any location in the universe, where would you go? Interestingly, um, some people actually chose places on Earth, which is, you know, I mean, I, and I don't and I don't blame you. You know, there are plenty of places on Earth, let alone the universe, that I still want to get to. Uh, so like Amy Van Tassel said, Easter Island, I, that is absolutely a place I still want to get to. Aaron Bush off of Instagram said, I would 100% go to Egypt. Yeah, that's a uh, definite bucket list item for a lot of people. I just went for the first time last year. And um, we have our Stargates of Ancient Egypt tour coming up here. Uh, so anybody who uh, is still interested in that, go ahead and sign up. You can get to that link through the ConnectedUniversePortal.com through the tour section. My personal website, or go to Saba Tours. Uh, I think it's just straight up. Sabatours.com or maybe it's Saba-Tours.com, S-A-B-A. Uh, Jennifer LeBay said, anywhere in the Star Wars universe. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, if, if we could take a uh, you know, Stargate to an alternative uh, parallel universe somewhere and happen to be the Star Wars universe, um, that would be fun. Of course, I'd be uh, wondering which, which planet there because, you know, I mean, I don't want to go to Tatooine, a desert planet. Um, Hoth is, is pretty dang cold. It's just like a snowball, uh, I don't know, forest moon of indoor, hang out with the teddy bears, but you really wouldn't have technology. Um, I mean, maybe Yavin four. Yeah. 
any case. <laughs> that would be fun. And then Victoria Breeze said, I would want to visit planets in our solar system to see if there is other life. Um, that would be cool to actually, you know, go and see our neighboring planets, like up close. And we see great photos and everything. If you have, if you own a telescope, you can, you know, kind of see them and little pinpricks in the night sky, see some colors and uh, you can see the rings of Saturn, that sort of thing. But to actually go out there and check it out would be very, very cool. Me personally, there are a lot of places in the universe that I want to check out. Yeah, certainly in our solar system, Pluto, Mars. Um, I'd want to check out the Sirius star in its its actual uh, solar system there because we have so many um, stories from different indigenous peoples, from different ancient history about well, just take ancient Egypt, for instance. You know, they talk about in the afterlife going off to uh, the constellation of Orion at the end, specifically the, the Sirius star. Um, the Dogon tribe talks about the Sirius. Actually, they talk about Sirius B. So what's going on there are those stars that we, um, our ancient peoples kept wanting to go back there. They, were, they basically said we were originally from there. And some people believe that some of these different gods from our uh, from our ancient stories came from there as well. So let's go check it out. See what's up. All right. So let's go ahead and dive into the topic for this evening. And of course, if you have any questions throughout the class, please throw them down there into the chat. All right. So Stargates. Well, here's what we're familiar with: the the movie Stargate, and uh, it came out in 1994. It was uh, kind of an influential time for me because I had just seen the uh, the docu series with John Anthony West, Robert Shock. That you know, uh, it wasn't a docu series; a documentary. I'm sorry. Uh, Charlton Heston was the uh, I guess the MC for that, for lack of a better term. Uh, Mysteries of the Sphinx, I think it was called. But that was basically where they were redating the Sphinx. And then Stargate comes out, which they threw a whole new spin on, you know, what the what the pyramids possibly were. And they actually walk through this thing to another planet that actually has ancient Egyptian culture. So this is what we are familiar with. You know, if we were to build a Stargate today, this is kind of what we would probably make it look like and hope that, okay, we'd zip through a wormhole like this. Uh, that's that's what we're used to to seeing. Then again, to a little theoretical physics on, on all of that. Uh, won't get too heavy-handed with it, but a few things here in just a moment. So, well, there is somebody who has built a Stargate, a very, very large one too. But it's not for any practical purpose. And that's China, um, of course, right? <laughs> uh, in China, they have what they call the Ring of Life. It's, uh, it's actually just a tourist attraction. They built this back in 2012. It's in Fushun, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, Fushun, China. Uh, it's 157 meters high or about 515 feet. It took 3,000 tons of steel to build. And the question is, of course, why did they build it? They, they built it as a tourist attraction. Uh, since Fushun only, yeah, only, has 1.3 million people. And that, that basically made it their 75th largest city. 
and that's 2012 numbers. Can, can you imagine that 1.3 million and that's your 75th largest city? They have a lot of people over there in China, but they built it as a tourist attraction to try to draw people there. You know, there's no you know functional uh, purpose for it, and and there it is, all lit up at night. So uh, definitely very very cool. I would go check it out. But again, it's not a real functioning Stargate. It, it doesn't serve any actual practical purpose other than to draw people in. And they're criticized for it. But you know, we've done things, you know, like the the Gateway Arch. You know, I, I mean, it's if you think about it, it's kind of in a similar vein. It, instead of a big circle like this, it's one big arch. So similar concept. And they call it the Ring of Life, actually. They don't actually call it a Stargate, but everybody relates it to, to a Stargate. So when we talk about if we are to actually go through a Stargate like this, enter into a wormhole, what, what is going on? What exactly is uh, a wormhole? Well, this is the the Einstein-Rosen bridge, and this came out of Einstein's theory of, of relativity and how we could possibly um, move through the cosmos. And what's fascinating about the whole concept of this idea of Einstein-Rosen bridge or wormhole is you're, you're talking about taking two points out in space. They're you know, light years, tens, hundreds, thousands, millions of light years away, we can't physically make it there uh, in our lifetimes. It's just, it's not going to happen. And, you know, all the science fiction movies where they, you know, cryo-freeze people and they thaw them out later on, yeah, we haven't really, that's not technology that we actually have. The, the cryogenics that we that we do have, they basically lop off your head. They freeze that, hoping that one day they'll be able to take your head and reattach it to some other body or something at some point. So we're not there yet to, to travel the stars long term as our, our, our flesh and body. So how would you uh, move? Well, okay, through a wormhole. How does that, how does that work? Well, you can kind of see there on the left, um, things are folded over. And, and the best example people usually use, and you've seen this come up in a lot of science fiction movies these days, is you take a piece of paper. And let me grab a piece of paper here real quick. And you've got your, I don't even have a pen here to do it right now. But basically, you have your piece of paper. Say this is space. You got one point here, one point there. And if you fold over space, you poke a hole from one to the other, then you've got your, basically this example here. And you create your wormhole. Well, okay. So first things first, how do you bend space and time? How do you fold that over? Someone speculate, well, you could do it near a black hole. Okay, maybe. <laughs> you might get sucked into the black hole too. And then also Interstellar, uh, the movie did a pretty good job of representing how that would look. A lot of our illustrations are like this, where you've got this, um, like funnel and then a tunnel that connects the two funnels that are on either side. Well, if you actually have a circle in 3D space and it actually comes off looking like a sphere. So very, very interesting concepts, but do these things actually exist? Can one actually be made? Now, some higher intelligence might have figured that out. We haven't. You know, we have it in theory, 
but it's we have not figured out how to bend space and time to be able to fold it over and create a wormhole. At least not in our current society, we don't know. Maybe in the far past, they may have, which is what we're going to be getting into with the stargates around the world and looking at these different things. But the idea of a portal, because when you're talking, when you're talking Stargate, you're you're essentially talking portal, wormhole, portal. These are all kind of interchangeable terms. And we have seen some portals just outside of our planet in a little bit of a different context. So uh, about 10 years ago, NASA had announced that they had discovered hidden portals or what they called X points in the Earth's magnetic field. So these types of portals are, they're invisible, they're unstable, they're elusive, they open and close without warning dozens of time, times each day. But you're not, you're not traveling from one point in, you know, one point of our solar system to another. It's not like you're going to send a craft to this uh, spot and suddenly jump out the Pluto. That's, that's not what it's for. It actually has to do with the sun. So you can see here in this illustration, you have your X point. You have the magnetosphere uh, from the north and south poles. They basically meet at a point that uh, is getting hit by the solar wind. And you have this unusual spot out there, these two magnetic forces meeting the force from the sun. And so this is kind of a bigger illustration of that. And what ends up happening here is these quote-unquote portals, they aid in the transfer of tons of magnetically charged particles that flow from the sun toward the earth. So basically what's happening is when we talk portal, it's a it's an opening for the uh, for the solar wind to get through and hit the earth. So these are the things that are generating our auroras around the earth. So when we get hit with a, you know, massive solar flare, you know, those things, uh, you know, really flare up. Well, these portals, these X points, when they open, they kind of aid in that they allow a lot more of that material through. So hence, you know, you have this connection that's opening to allow more things from the sun to the earth. So little bit different type of portal than what we're going to be talking about this evening, but I wanted to address it because uh, people do ask about portals in space or they've heard of, of this sort of thing. Well, what about the, you know, the portal is supposed to be, you know, just outside the earth somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's not a stargate in the sense that we're thinking of from science fiction. So what are some of these stargates that we have around the earth? Were they like what we have seen in our science fiction and why are they all always seem to be you know from from ancient times well I'll, I'll address the the latter first it's because we seem to have lost a lot of our knowledge to time it's still there in front of us and a lot of times we've lost either the interpretation of it or we over time have forgotten how to to make things work so uh and, and tom uh chiming in here uh, he says, if I was offered a trip through it for free, I would try it. I don't think the general public would be able to afford to travel through it if it ever existed. Um, yeah, what's interesting is you're seeing like the space hotels and things like that start to get advertised. You know, right now it's, you know, for millions of dollars, you can take a quick trip 
you know, up into orbit. Well, they are actually uh, in the process of building space hotels and things like that to, to send up there. Again, those are going to be very, very expensive trips. Um, maybe I'll put a GoFundMe together and, uh, and we'll take a trip. Because <laughs> it would take that kind of funding to do it. Whew. Or hit the lottery. So, all right, we're going to start at a place I haven't talked about before. It's actually in Sri Lanka. Uh, it's called, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, Ranmasu Iyana Stargate. This is, again, in Sri Lanka. This is actually uh, some ancient royal gardens, about 40 acres in size. They were first constructed in the time of King Tissa, about 3rd century BC. Uh, however, other parts of the uh, of this park or gardens were built in the 8th to 9th century AD. So this site was used for hundreds, I mean, really about a thousand years uh, that the site was actually used. But there's one part of these royal gardens that has everybody stumped as to what it is. And that is this petroglyph. You know, I usually call it petroglyphs when it's, uh, you know, out in Asia, but that's essentially what it is. We call them petroglyphs here in the United States. But it's it's a carving into the rock in the gardens. Now, archaeologists are trying to say that it's an early map of the world. This was first suggested by H.C.P. Bell in 1911, and they've stuck by that ever since. But take a look at this. It's a circle, right? And, and you can kind of, if you zoom in a little bit, you can kind of see some animals within the circle. Okay, maybe start seeing some Lion King circle of life. I don't know. But look at the other symbols. That's like no map I've ever seen. Uh, in the dead center is a spiral, uh, the swirl pattern that I, I love to key in on. There's actually another one in the upper left as well, smaller one. But then you see all these circles with crosses in other symbols. I, I'm not seeing a map here at all. It's You have circles within circles and other lines kind of connecting these things. Um, yeah, so, and again, I'm going to key in on that spiral pattern. So, I mean, honestly, we don't really know what this thing means to try to uh, translate it or interpret it. We don't have anything to go off of, except for other symbols that we've seen around the world. So here's some unusual things about it. One, it's not mentioned in any historic record, uh, which were meticulously kept by the Buddhist monks. Also, the iconography is incompatible with other carvings during that period. So other carvings from Sri Lanka at that time during those thousand years were not like this at all. And again, there's no record of it. But you can you can see, and from the patina, it does date back to that time. It is that old. So one of the theories from, um, I guess, from our community is that the chart holds a secret code to unlocking the portal. Now, where the portal would be around there, where the Stargate would be, we're not sure. But this appears to be some sort of code that would tell you how to actually operate it. So there are 
also similar coverings. Like I said, you know, if, if we are um, kind of relating different things here, uh, similar carvings in uh, Abu Ghraib in Egypt and La Puerta de Hoya Marca in Peru, or otherwise known as Amaru Meru. And so those are, again, we're not really getting into uh, Egypt that much this evening because we have the whole stargates of, of ancient Egypt that we just did a couple of weeks ago. But Amaru Meru, we're going to be talking about quite a bit this evening. And that is this. We're not going there just yet in our discussion, but take note of that T-shaped opening that looks like a door in the side of the cliff because we're going to be venturing into that, not there at first, but in Chaco Canyon in the American Southwest. This is in New Mexico. So take a look, Peru, New Mexico. Okay. <laughs> Seeing the similarities. Yes. And, uh, yeah, Amy, uh, like time travel connecting the universe. Absolutely. That's what, that's what we're going to be talking about this evening. So, so Chaco Canyon in New Mexico, I was out there some years back now, what, almost four years ago now. So, um, you know, three years ago, almost three years ago, <laughs> just before COVID. So in any case, it was a bucket list item of mine that I always wanted to get to. And coming back from a Shockfest film festival, uh, I ended up making the stop in there. So this is, it's a very, very large site, the entire canyon. So I spent most of my time at Pueblo Benito. And um, we dove deep into this during the American Southwest class that we had last fall. And you can see all the, the kivas there, not getting into all those different things tonight. This is an aerial shot, not my aerial uh, photo, but because um, they weren't, they wouldn't let me put a drone up. I had to get special permission for it and I didn't have time to go through all that. Uh, this is from the ground level. Amazing ancient ruins right here in the United States. So talking about our spirals, well, there we go. There's the spiral pattern. So in Chaco Canyon, they referred to these spirals as portals that the star people came through. That was their tradition. Star people came through these portals to the land. Now, if you go back here to what we were just looking at in Sri Lanka, you have your spiral pattern. We are going to be looking at, at spirals and swirls and things like that this evening. But before we dive into all of that, again, take a look at the T-shape. We're going to be talking about that real quick here for a little while. I have some video clips to, to show you from Chaco Canyon. So throughout many of the structures, there are these T-shaped doorways and highly speculative as to what they're actually used for. Some believe that they were ceremonial, not practical, but they have these little sills, these little ledges here. Don't know if they're actually used for anything or if it was just, some people believe that they were used to mark a special location that you were entering. 
again, we're speculating as to what these things were. Also, did these originate here or did these type of doorways originate in Mexico? So many mysteries still here. We have something that just hit me while I'm standing here looking at this T-shaped structure. This is a hole, a doorway, I get that. But where else do we talk about T-shaped structures? Gobekli Tepe. Is this just the inverse was created out there more than 10,000 years ago? It just hit me as I'm standing right here looking at it. This is what I love about ancient mysteries. We may never find the answers, but it gets you asking the questions. It just hit me while I was standing there that this looks like the T-shaped pillars inverted from Gobekli Tepe. So what am I talking about here? I'm talking about these. And you can see the animal representations on the T-shaped pillars. And well, the, the bags there are significant because those bags at the very top that you see, we're not getting into that this evening. Those are seen in cultures, ancient cultures all over the world. But here's a uh, wider shot of one of the circles. But you see the T-shape all over the place in there. So those are standing pillars. But then when you look at Chaco Canyon, you see it as something that you're actually walking through. And I, I did say something in there about, you know, did it originate in Mexico? Because um, you, you see a lot of that type of a doorway in Mexico, but it's always in a place that is sacred. Like you're walking through into an important location. And when it comes to that specific spot in uh, Pueblo Benito, I found it really, really interesting uh, the way that whole little area was constructed. So I have a couple of other little video clips here that um, I want to show that are, are relevant. I don't think some people realize when they see the video footage and photos of these locations here at Chaco Canyon is these doorways are actually very, very small. Um, here, I'll go ahead and stand up. Kind of get an idea. You have to really bend down. So were they smaller? Was it just part of their construction system? Was it maybe even a... Uh, rev something to do with reverence, like, you know, part of their worship system as you go away and you have to bow down. I don't know. Um, it makes you really wonder as to why that was, but, you know, we can only speculate now as to why it was constructed like this. Was it something that made them get closer to the earth and feel that energy here? We don't I showed you that particular clip because that's the other doorway into that area. Basically, it's like this corner room. And through the, I, I guess, front, uh, I, I, it's, it's kind of, you're kind of curious, okay, which is the front, which is the back? I, I believe this is the front walking through the T-shaped door. And then the other 
part is kind of like a little side entrance, but you you basically have to get on all fours almost to to get in there. So, you know, I was, you know, always kind of curious about, okay, is this, is it to get closer to the earth? Is it, you know, for some sort of reverence that you're walking into a, you know, some sort of holy area? And the reason why I mentioned that is I'm going to show you this last other clip and keep in mind from the camera, the T-shaped doors behind the camera. And then to the left, you can see that smaller entrance that you have to like almost get on all fours to get down into this area. Now, you take an amazing room like this and you wonder what exactly it was used for. So on the ground, you have this, this basin here. It's actually collecting water. Uh, so kind of obvious, maybe some sort of water collection system was a ceremonial use. What exactly was going on here? You know, if the site was for ceremonial purposes, what was this room for was the function of this. And you look through the little park booklet and they have a lot of great information about the location, the construction, and that, we even have a little marker here, but doesn't explain what this thing was used for. So it's another mystery of what this location actually was. This, the inset on the wall over here. You know, what exactly is going on over here? You know, it's, you know, let's take a closer look at it. You know, so you can see that the original construction actually goes lower. You can easily set, I don't know, some sort of idol here, some sort of artwork, some sort of item you're going to worship. We don't know. You got a water basin here, the two related. And remember, this place is aligned to the stars. So it makes you wonder the significance of this room it had to have been very significant. The low manner in which you have to enter here, it's the, it's the shortest door I've seen yet. They have to bow down to enter here. You have this set into the wall. It could very easily be some sort of, you know, idol or memorial object. And then you have this water collection basin down on the ground here. It really makes you wonder what exactly this room was used for. Kind of going back now uh, and looking at that. It was filled in about halfway. Um, you know, it was not originally just that little, almost kind of window size. It was more almost like like door sized uh, for where I was talking about, you know, where they put an idol here. Now, where this room is situated, it's really in the back right corner if you're looking at it from the front. Well, down that walkway, along the cliff face are all the petroglyphs. So this is one of the first places you would really hit of the whole complex if you're coming from the petroglyphs. And that's important because of what those petroglyphs signify. On the stone behind me are petroglyphs, and this is actually called Petroglyph Trail, because all along the canyon walls here are a number of different Petroglyphs, which is basically the ancient artwork from the Anasazi culture that had been here. It's left up to us to try to decipher what these things mean. You can see kind of the swirl shape behind us, and that is in a number of these different petroglyphs. So some think that they may be spirit portals, some think that they may represent the actual galaxies above. A lot of different things, spirit energy. But we actually see this swirl pattern in a lot of different ancient cultures, not just here, but all over the world, which 
makes you question again the tie-in of ancient cultures all across the globe even though they are separated by thousands and thousands of miles across continents but yet they still have some sort of apparent connection i'm going to come back to the uh, swirl or spiral pattern here in a little while i do want to stick with the uh, with the t-shape for right now and what that means to us so there's there's chaco there's Gobekli Tepe. Um, Tom has a comment here. Maybe aliens are smaller civilization back then. They traveled alone. If something is larger, like the tourist interest in China, may require a ship to use to transport it through. Well, yeah, the, and that one was pretty big. <laughs> um, but sticking with the uh, the T shape here. Uh, yeah, again, that's Gobekli Tepe. But we want to talk about. And I mentioned it early. Uh, Amaru Mero. So you can see here again, you have that T shape. This is a doorway. And this is in Peru. It's about 12,000 feet above sea level. And of course, the question is, you know, how did the water get up there so high? Because this is off of Lake Titicaca. Um, and there's, there's things on both sides of it that are rather significant. Uh, and there's you know, ruins buried in the, or lost in the water and things like that, um, even though the water has actually receded over the years. But um, Amaro Mero is known as the gate of the gods. About six and a half feet tall is what this opening is. Uh, it's pre-Incan. Local legends speak of people disappearing through the doorway. Uh, as well as strange sights of tall men accompanied by glowing balls of light walking through the doorway. So what's interesting about this is it's believed to be a stargate in which the entire physical body moved through the door in its entirety, not just the spiritual being. Because there are some legends in which they talk about, um, okay, so like Egyptian tombs. You know, they have that kind of false door that's within the Egyptian tombs. Well, at that point, you're supposed to be dead, but the uh, door is there so that the uh, Ka can pass through the doorway. Well, it, that's you know one part of the soul. It doesn't actually have the physical uh, body at that point. But this one allows for the actual physical passing of the body uh, through this. And it's kind of interesting. It was pointed out the the last time that we did the Stargates that the stain near the back of the uh, of the wall resembles a little bit of a head and body as if people were uh, leaving residue when they passed through the uh, the gate just kind of interesting and you see that kind of circle groove there right in the middle take note of that because there is a legend here that uh and, and the local natives uh, tell the story of when spanish explorers came to south america and tried to convert the locals to Christianity. They resisted, and they were the locals were chased across the Andes Mountains. The last emperor came here to Maromero, stepped into the Stargate, and with a device he held in his hand, he placed it into that, that circle knot you see back there in, in the back. He turned it, and then he was able to walk right through the wall, and of course disappeared through the Stargate. So that is the legend. And the locals say that it is, it is actually still a working Stargate to this day, that there are specific times of years when the conditions are right that 
it will open and people will pass through it. So I mentioned that there are other things around this lake. Well, across the lake in Bolivia is the Gate of the Sun. So uh, yeah, what's fascinating about this lake is you had some very, very significant cultures. Right now we have a, you know, um, a country divide right down the middle of the lake. One side is Peru, one side is Bolivia. But very, very significant things. So one side you have a Maru, Maru. That's on the Peru side. On the Bolivian side, we have the Gate of the Sun. So this is, uh, the site is Tiwanaku. And some suggest, now you have all these interesting car reads. Of course, you have this, this doorway to nowhere. So what was it actually used for? The carvings at the top, uh, some believe represent a calendar, but it doesn't make a lot of sense because there's only 290 days. If this was a calendar, that would actually be represented here. So there's some sort of count going on with it, but we don't quite understand why. I mean, 290 is still a pretty significant, you know, big number. And usually on items like this, they would be keeping track of days or seasons or something like that. So why 290? Does 290 perhaps represent, if you use this as a stargate, to pass through to somewhere? What Does the 290 represent perhaps the calendar on the other side of whatever that world is, wherever they go? You know, wherever the... Um, think about it. If you have somebody coming from another planet or another dimension uh, coming into our world, well, time and seasons and all that are going to work differently. So maybe they had a 290-day year, and they used that to keep track of the days until they needed to go back. Like, oh, we need to be back in time for our harvest or whatever. That's on this specific day. We need to make sure we go back on that day and back to the Stargate they go. Total speculation. But uh, but possible. We don't know what those 290 are. So that's a very, very significant area. Now, that is different. I mean, they don't have the T-shape there with that particular door. Um, but that's a it's a different site. Different people built this area than on the other side. Still pre-Incan, though. All right, so we're going to go back to the spirals and the swirls. So they're the ones from Chaco Canyon. And I'm bringing those up again because um, as part of that Southwest American culture, and it's some miles away, but in the uh, Uintah Basin and McConkey Ranch, we see similar things. So this is, this is in Utah. And again, you see that spiral, that swirl. And here what's interesting is you see in this particular petroglyph, you actually see something coming out of the spiral. And it's hard to tell exactly what that is. It's, you know, is it arms and legs? Um, is it a bird maybe? Um, you know, and even part of it is like, okay, is that a bird? You can see kind of the parts of the top or those wings, is it actually carrying on its legs, the spiral away, which of course we're relating to uh, Stargate or Portal here. 
Now, what's significant here is that it's actually near a, uh, when we're talking uh, the Uintah Basin, we're, we're talking about a pretty uh, popular area right now. And that is Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, it's really just right down the road from Skinwalker Ranch. And, you know, people have asked me my my opinion on what's going on there. And I know um, a couple of the guys that have been there and done some research on there, like my buddy James Keenan um, and a couple of others. And I'm not quite caught up with season three yet. as <laughs> I don't know what, you know, all the different things that they've uh, un uncovered there the, this past season. Uh, but I also did a, a video on, on Skinwalkers some years back for the old Haunted Road Media YouTube channel. And, you know, I think it is a location that certainly could have had, you know, some Stargate uh, hit in there. Uh, certainly portal activity going on. What's What I think is really going on there, uh, you know, they talk about the triangle that's there. We're going to talk about triangles here in a little bit, but I, I do think that there is, um, you know, when you talk about Bermuda, Alaska, all that sort of stuff with, with the triangle areas, I believe similar things are happening there at Skinwalker that happen uh, at these other triangle areas of the world. So we'll get a little bit more into that here, but um, but I, I believe that the spiral pattern, the the swirls are representing that that portal activity and those connections to other locations through basically the electromagnetism of the surrounding land out there. Of course, we see similar uh, type patterns in uh, Sardinia. So this is an island off of Italy. This is a Tuma della Saccaria, if I'm Saccaria, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. There's seven of these. Uh, within the tomb. And of course, seven is one of those significant numbers. And you even see in their ancient architecture, those type of different circles and swirls and spirals. You have these spiral patterns within these old ancient ruins. And then of course, you have the different legends and stories of giants that were there on Sardinia. And those stories connect back to the uh, the stories of the Atlantean culture. I'll talk about that in, in a second here. Newgrange, you're also seeing the, uh, the same type of effect here, the same spirals, the same swirls, all of that. Uh, it's absolutely fascinating. Of course, you have the, like many of these sites, the astronomical alignments with Newgrange, it's uh, aligned to the rising sun on the winter solstice. So you have all these different astronomical alignments that are involved as well. Uh, this was a new one that was thrown my way, and I'm trying to do a little bit of research on it. This is from ancient Sumer. Um, you don't really have the uh, spiral pattern so much here, but in a sense, you know, he is in some sort of doorway or gateway um, up some stairs. And the, uh, you know, you kind of see this strange pattern near him. Now, why I say it's been a little bit difficult to do research on this. Some sites have said this is Enki, which is supposed to be, you know, one of the shining ones, one of the Sumerian gods uh, who actually liked humans and was trying to help them. Uh, kind of in defiance of Enlo, which was the one that was, you know, that hated humans. Uh, but Inky was always trying to give them knowledge. Um, 
Others have related this to the flood story. Uh, so basically the Sumerian version of, of Noah. So some have uh, said that they are putting him into the ark. I don't know how much it really looks like an ark. Um, looks like a door with steps. And, um, you know, you have these shimmering lines around it, uh, which to me, when I first looked at this, I actually related it to the uh, some of those cartouches from ancient Egypt and the energy snakes that surrounded them. That's what it looked like to me. Uh, so who or what's going on here? I have to do some more research. But in a way, you do still kind of have that, um, that spiral or that swirl around him as he's going through this doorway and up the stairs. And even if it is part of the flood story there, um, that still connects to all these different cultures because all these different cultures from around the world have the flood story and it, it happened. And then of course, here's the one bit of Egypt that we'll throw in there for today. Uh, you have again, the same spirals and swirls on uh, ancient Egyptian pottery. Now in more of the dynastic period, that kind of went away. They had other symbols that represented the same thing. We've, we've taken a look at those Stargate symbols when, when they developed their uh, hieroglyphic language, their hieroglyphic light writing system. Um, they were using other things to represent Stargates. This is pre-dynastic time. And you have the same pattern here that you do on all of these other ancient sites. From the American Southwest, to Sardinia, Italy, it's Mediterranean, to Newgrange, that's Ireland, Egypt. And you could even throw in the, the Sumer one, but they, they are all very, very similar. And there are many people that believe that this actually comes out of the old Atlantis story, which is incomplete. We've, we've covered Atlantis a bit before, and uh, Plato's stories were were incomplete. He either didn't finish them or part of it was lost. So we don't have the complete story, but we have enough that we know what it looked like. And there are um, there's enough information to go around that talks about uh, the destruction of Atlantis and the survivors that went to other lands, taking what little bit they still had in the knowledge of whoever were the survivors to try to recreate their culture. And that's where um, some of these things come into play. Um, Sardinia certainly would have been nearby. That would just been in the Mediterranean. So depending on where you believe Atlantis was, it still would not have been that far. Um, Ireland also would not have been that far. Egypt also would have been not, not that far. The Americas would have been in the opposite direction, a little bit further. But still, if you have a seafaring race as they were supposed to be, they could certainly make that that trip and that trek. And we do see how some different like Native American beliefs or um, you know pre-Incan and Mayan how they actually have some similarities, eerily similarities to ancient Egypt and some of these others. So. Um, Real quick, wanted to throw in Stonehenge. Just I, I like telling this story because um, it's just kind of fun. The uh, Stonehenge hippies from 1971 
Um, you know, of course you can't go camping up there now, but back in the day you were, you could go camping. <laughs> and um, there was a passing policeman who had seen the, uh, the young adults up there. And all of a sudden there was this blue light and they were gone. All that was ever left of them were their backpacks. And um, you know, somebody had been journaling talking about, you know, their um, little excursion up there for the day. Apparently they were having a good time and whatever the blue light was, they were suddenly gone. So did they pass through some sort of portal? If Stonehenge was some sort of Stargate, did were the conditions somehow finally right for just a moment that they passed through the Stargate? It's possible. Now, I mentioned earlier the uh, the different triangle areas, uh, Bermuda, Alaska, and again, why did that not uh, load up? I, I set all this stuff up, you know, long before we start the uh, class in, I don't know. Okay, so there's uh, Alaska. So when I mentioned Skinwalker earlier, in that, you know, possible portals, Stargates there, that sort of thing. Um, I think it's entirely possible that you know, you're having that sort of activity there from the strange electromagnetism that's in the area. I, I think it is what we would probably call a triangle area. And I think they're correctly calling, they have a little area there that they call the triangle. But really, I think it's a more encompassing of uh, a you know, wider range of the area. I mean, call it the whole ranch. Uh, just think strange things that go on at Blind Frog Ranch and in other areas around the whole Uintah Basin. It's not just Skinwalker. But I think it's really one of these triangle areas of the world in which you have that uh, vortex energy that's rising up from the Earth's core, interacts with all of these different elements that are within the ground. And depending on what it's passing through as it's rising up, you're going to have a lot of this you know, strange activity that that can happen, like compasses uh, going crazy, navigational equipment going nuts, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, we, we've seen and heard the reports out of Bermuda Flight 19, a lot of the strange things that have happened in Alaska, like the missing Douglas. Uh, you know, the things that are happening there at Skinwalkers are just trying to do basic tests with, you know, uh, you know with their electromagnetic gear just bizarre things that make no sense other than I've read so many accounts and stories now of equipment going haywire in these different triangle areas that it's like, that's what's going on there at Skinwalker. At least that's my assessment of it. And when you hear about these different beings that are passing in and out possibly from some other dimension. People talk about seeing aliens there that show up, disappear. They've seen a lot of UAP, UFO phenomena there. And in these areas, okay, so this is the missing Douglas from the Alaska Triangle. And one of the ideas is that it disappeared through a portal somewhere. Nothing has ever, ever been found of this huge plane, even though a smaller plane went down the exact same area that this disappeared, a couple of weeks later, they found that smaller plane immediately, not a problem. This is still missing to this day, some 70 years later, 72 years later. It's nuts. Uh, Bermuda Triangle with Bruce Gurnan. He flew through, um, you know, kind of like the same, it kind of looked like this, where 
um, you know, the clouds formed into this tunnel. He called it like an electronic fog. And all of a sudden he's zipped, you know, hundreds, you know, like a hundred miles within a few minutes, which made no sense. So he, he basically did some sort of time travel in a limited scope from one point in what we call the Bermuda Triangle to another, almost to Miami. And with the whole Flight 19 disappearance, you know, they were reporting, you know, all kinds of crazy, uh, bizarre compass and navigational equipment failures that were going on. It just, it made no sense as to what was happening. And then shortly thereafter, they were lost. And you, you hear about some of these, even going all the way back to like the Christopher Columbus, when he first sailed through the area, his compass was having all kinds of issues. When we talk about the Alaska Triangle, uh, one of the stories that I bring up there for the, the navigational issues um, is the Princess Sophia. You know, here you have a, uh, a sea captain that he was very, very familiar with the Lynn Canal. He had sailed it countless numbers of times. And in previous conversations he had sat, he had, had with people uh, in actual, you know, documented conversations, uh, you know, he specifically said that, you know, he knows where the deep parts are and he, and he keeps to them. So he knew exactly where the Vanderbilt Reef was. Now, there was a uh, snowstorm that he kicked up. They couldn't see. So all they had to, that they could use was the navigational equipment on the ship. Well, if you had the electromagnetism of the triangle that was kicking up and interfering with that, then it makes sense as to why they would have steered off course. So I'm going into this because it's these types of highly concentrated electromagnetic areas of the world, like different triangle areas, that seem to have a lot more of this portal in what we call Stargate type of activity. The ancients would have, and we've talked about it before when we've mentioned Stonehenge, the pyramids, these types of locations that the ancients knew where this energy was, that um, that there was earth energy and they related it to a variety of different things, you know, whether it was, you know, the serpents, serpents get used a lot to depict that type of energy. Um, I mean, if you think about it, when you're talking about the telluric currents that are going through the ground, they are kind of across a grid, they're kind of, you know, snaking their way through through the ground. Um, you know, it's not a constant steady stream. It's like more of a, of a pulsating uh, type of an energy. So you think about the pulses, those are like waves. You know, when you think about a snake slithering, right? Yeah, it's kind of like that. So the energy is like a snake through the ground. And so they are, you know, tapping into that to use it for different purposes whether it's healing, whether it's to enter into altered states of consciousness, do meditations. Um, and one of the other ideas is to use it as portal or uh, Stargate functionality. And we've seen that a ton when we've gone through it with, uh, with ancient Egypt, but these other locations were using that as well. So, you know, the better places to do that are these locations that have the, the higher electromagnetism and, Again, they knew how to to tap into that, how to find it. Uh, I mean, we can do it today. We, you know, we've we've done electromagnetic surveys in a lot of these different locations, and um, you know, and I think that's what's going on there at, uh, at Skinwalker and some of these other locations is they're discovering, okay, this this is one of those types of locations, um, and it has some special properties. And 
just want to throw this out there. So some people have said, well, you know, maybe the whole earth is like a giant crystal. Uh, I don't believe that. Um, you know, the, the earth's core is a, uh, is molten iron, very, very hot molten iron. And so as that spins, um, you know, that's what's creating the, the electromagnetism. Something like a crystal, here, here's where the difference is. The crystal can create, like you're talking quartz, when you, when you put some pressure on that, when you push against quartz and create piezoelectric, uh, piezoelectricity, um, you know, that is, create, uh, is creating electricity. <laughs> so I'm kind of repeating myself there. Um, but it's not magnetism. It's not magnetic. It's electricity, but it's not magnetic. If you were to, uh, you could use a magnet to create power, but it's not a that crystal is not a magnet in and of itself. So that's kind of the difference there. Why I don't believe that the Earth itself is a crystal. Now, when that magnetism is passing up through the uh, the mantle and the crust and all that stuff, and it interacts with that crystal or other metals, you're going to create some of these different effects. You're going to create, you know, maybe there is a, you know, significant quartz deposit, um, you know, under some of these different locations. And so the, the magnetism from the earth is, um, you know, passing through that and creating a, you know, larger charge right there. That I will certainly believe because, you know, we use, you know, those type of crystals in, in, in our electronics. Uh, we see how the ancients used uh, things with high quartz content to harness energy. We do that uh, in ancient times and today. So, just throwing my opinion out there because I get I'll get people all the time say, "Oh, then you know the Earth could be a giant." Crystal. No, it's not a giant crystal. It's it's not like the core of the Earth is made of quartz. <laughs> um. But there's just significant quartz deposits throughout the crust, throughout our planet, that's enhancing some of these different areas as that magnetism for the iron core is uh, is passing through it. So, all right, and that kind of goes back to uh, what we were talking earlier with the X points and the magnetic shield and, and all of that sort of thing. We, you know, the that's where the magnetism comes from. So, everybody, that will wrap it up for more World Stargates. For those that are listening to the podcast and the syndicated shows later on, please join us live every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Catch the live stream show or live stream class. Ask your questions. Watch the videos yourself instead of just listening to them. Watch the actual slide presentation rather than kind of guess what we're looking at. <laughs> Um, also, I do want to let everybody know that next week we will not have a class. I'm going to be on the road to Michigan Paracon. Um, actually, two of the next three weeks, um, I'm not going to be uh, available. I will be traveling. So next week, no class. Then I'll be back for a week, which we'll have a class. And then the following week after that, which I think is September 7th, um, I will be traveling yet again. So got a lot of traveling coming up in which we're not going to be able to do some classes. But um, so off next week, then uh, the following week, which is the 31st, correct? Yes. So off the 24th, we're here the 31st, off the 7th. 
but I'll have a lot more stuff they'll be posting on the back end of the Connecting Universe portal. So I don't know, everybody. That will do it. And there's uh, Tom wishing a good night. Good night to you as well, Tom. Good night to everybody else that was down there in the chat. Amy, Jennifer, Nicole, and anybody else that was down there this evening. Have a great night. Till next time. If time really exists.